And uh, it's going to come and bring us our scripture reading, which comes from Matthew 28, verse 1 to 30, which will pay, find on page 1000 in the Church Bibles. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated amongst the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Amen. Thank you very much. It is great to be um, uh, with you. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses um, 16 to 20 of uh, Matthew chapter 28. So if you'd like to keep your Bibles um, open, uh, that would um, be great. This isn't my very first time to uh, Long Crendon. I used to live uh, reasonably locally um, uh, sort of uh, some years ago. I think I was here in 1995. I once came and visited for uh, a service here. So it's nice to be back and come and see the church thriving and growing. This may be completely wrong, but I don't remember such comfortable chairs back then. I have a memory of a rather hard pew, but please uh, forgive me. It's sort of uh, nice to see uh, how you've moved on in that way. Let's um, pray, shall we, as we uh, come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we want to remember how uh, when uh, the Lord Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, you spoke uh, to his disciples and said, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. We want to thank you and praise you that here we have the very words of Jesus, 
that you have caused to be written down in your word by your spirit. And we ask and pray that we would indeed listen to him and obey him. So please give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts and wills to respond with faith and obedience, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is the church for? What is the church for? What is our mission? What should we um, be doing? I guess there are a variety of different views that people have as to what the church is for. Some people think that the church should be a kind of cultural museum, a kind of place where we remember how we used to live in past days, singing the songs and the hymns of of a previous era, so that church is rather like going to one of those theme parks that tell you what it was like in the past. Others seem to think that the church should be some kind of political lobbying organisation, that the prime purpose of the church is to be lobbying the government for political and moral change. For others, they think that the church is fundamentally a social club. It's where people can come together and enjoy community and friendship. For others, they think that church maybe is a branch of social services. It exists to kind of meet needs in the community all around. For others, they perhaps think that the church is a kind of hospital or therapy centre, a place where people can come to be helped through the difficulties of life. What is the church for? What is its mission? And that's a really important question, because how we answer that question will determine what we do, how we act. Well, it's vital for us to remember, I think, that the church is uh, not our church. It's easy for us, isn't it, to fall into thinking that the church is our church, or even worse than that, my church. First of all, the church belongs to the Lord Jesus. The church is his body. He is the head of the church. And surely that means as we ask the question, what is the church for? We should listen to him, to his instructions, to his commands as to what the church should be. And here in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, we have Jesus' final words to his disciples. And here he is giving them their mission. He is telling them what they are to do. Here we have um, Jesus, the head of the church, instructing the members of the church as to what they should be doing. He uh, gives them a job to do, And he reassures them that they have everything necessary to do that job. And these words that uh, Jesus speaks to his disciples here, I think, are not just for them, but also for us. It would be uh, easy to think that Jesus is simply speaking to these uh, special disciples, these apostles that he's chosen. We know that we're not exactly like them. But do you notice what he says in verse 20? He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are instructions, not just to these particular disciples, but through them to the whole of Jesus' people until he returns. The job that Jesus gives his disciples to do here is the job that needs to be done right until he returns, right until the end of the age. So here are Jesus' instructions to his people, to his church. And I guess nothing that I'm going to say this morning is new. Nothing um, is likely to be what you haven't heard before or what you don't already know. But I think these are crucial things that we need to remember 
and that we need to be reminded of because so easily we can forget them and lose perspective and forget what it is that Jesus wants his church to be doing. So I want to suggest three things um, from these verses at the end of Matthew's Gospel as we remember what the church is for. And firstly, we see Jesus' command. We see Jesus' command. And what we learn from that is that our mission is to make disciples. That's what Jesus uh, commanded uh, these disciples to do. Have a look at uh, verse uh, 19. Jesus says to them, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That is the mission. That is the job that Jesus gives his disciples to do. And I guess um, uh, as we look at this passage, we, we see here the what, the where and the how of the church. We see what it's to be doing. Jesus' command is to make disciples. A disciple is somebody who's a follower, a learner who becomes like somebody else and does what somebody else does. So to make disciples is to make people who follow Jesus as Lord and who live like him. And that's what the church is there to do, to make disciples. And after all, wasn't that Jesus' own mission? Isn't that what Jesus himself did? He came to call men and women to repent and to believe and to follow him, to become like him. Jesus made disciples. So it's not surprising that the task that he gives to his church is to make disciples. That's what we're to do. But what's so striking about this command is where we're to make disciples. And you see, Jesus says here that um, these uh, kind of disciples are to make disciples of all nations. They're to make disciples everywhere, from all people. And particularly, Jesus has in mind here both Jews and Gentiles alike. They're to make the whole world his disciples. Now, this is nothing less than the fulfilment of what God's purpose is for his world. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, when God created the world, he gave the man and the woman he created the responsibility of filling and subduing the earth. God's purpose was that the earth would be filled with people who were worshipping him and living under his good rule. That was God's purpose from the very beginning. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and rebelled, so the result was that purpose was not brought about in quite that way. But God didn't abandon the world. God uh, resolved that he would save the world. He uh, made new promises. He called Abraham. And he promised that uh, he would accomplish this purpose through Abraham. He called Abraham to follow him. And he promised Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And that through Abraham, all peoples of the earth would be blessed. God would accomplish his purpose of filling the earth with those who worshipped him and lived for him. That has always been God's plan. And here it is, being fulfilled. Just as Adam failed in the garden, ultimately the people of Israel failed. But Jesus was faithful. And having gone to the cross and having been raised, he now begins his great work of gathering in people from every nation. And he sends his disciples out to make disciples of all nations. 
This is how God's plan, the plan that he had from the very beginning, is being fulfilled. Now, I think it's easy as we read this passage to think that it's speaking first and foremost of going abroad to be a missionary. I guess we're very used to hearing the passage taught in that way, aren't we? Uh, the, The instruction to Jesus' disciples is go and make disciples of all nations. And we immediately assume that that must be talking about the call to go and serve overseas. The nations, after all, are somewhere else. And the call is for us to go to them. But I think that's in many ways to read the passage through our own cultural perspective. When we read the New Testament, we discover that the vast majority of Christians are called to stay right where they are and make disciples right where they are. There are a small number who are sent to take the gospel elsewhere, but the vast majority of the believers are to stay right where they are and make disciples in the place that they are. More importantly, we need to understand that we are biblically amongst the nations. To the mindset of uh, the Bible, the mindset of the Jews, the world was divided into two groups. On the one hand, there were the Jews, and then there were the Gentiles who were called the nations. So when the command is to go to the nations, as we take part in evangelism, and as we make disciples here, that's exactly what we're doing. We are fulfilling this command. Biblically, we are amongst the nations. Now, that's not to say that it isn't important to have a commitment to world mission and to want to take the gospel everywhere. That's absolutely right. But we can fulfill Jesus' command right here in Long Crendon. The people around you in the village here are biblically the nations. And we're called to make disciples of them. So strangely, we go by staying where we are and making disciples. We are fulfilling Jesus' command. It's not actually either or, of course, it's both and. That's what the church needs to do. So we're everywhere, all nations. And that, I think, for us particularly means that we need to be reaching all kinds of people. There is nobody that we should not be reaching in our community. There should be no group that we're not seeking to make disciples of the Lord Jesus. The command is to reach everyone, make disciples of all people. Well, how? How are we to do that? Well, the way that that's to be done is through word ministry. That's, I think, what's emphasised in these uh, verses at the end of Matthew's Gospel. It's through the ministry of the word, the ministry of the Gospel that this command is fulfilled. It's fulfilled through preaching and teaching. Preaching is evangelism. Preaching is declaring the gospel to those who are not believers so that they might respond and repent. You only become a disciple through the preaching of the gospel and responding to the Lord Jesus. That's absolutely essential to making disciples. We'll only be making disciples as we're proclaiming Christ and calling people to follow him. Now, that's not something that just happens in church. It's not something that just happens at an evangelistic event. It's something that happens in our our personal witness to others. But it's not just about preaching. That's how you become a disciple. But discipleship um, uh, carries on. To become a disciple is to become somebody who's a learner, who's being transformed and changed. And that takes place through teaching, 
Do you notice uh, Jesus says to uh, his disciples here, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's these two things. Preaching the gospel so people become disciples and teaching so that people grow to obey Jesus in everything. And it's baptism that marks the beginning of that new life. It's baptism that marks the fact that a person has repented and has come to follow Jesus and belong to him and to go on living for him. So we're to uh, preach the good news of the gospel. We're to teach, to obey, we're to baptise those who respond. So here's Jesus' command. This is what the church is for. Our mission is to make disciples. We're to make disciples of all people. We're to do that everywhere. And the way we do it is through the ministry of the word, through preaching and teaching. And I guess the challenge, therefore, for all of us, both individually and as a local church, is are we fulfilling our mission? Are we fulfilling the mission that Jesus gave to us? Are we making disciples everywhere? Now, that, I think, starts as simply as um, our own families. Maybe we've got uh, children at home. Are we making disciples in our own family? as we teach our children the good news of the gospel, as we teach them to obey the Lord Jesus and to follow him, is that what we're doing? Are we making uh, disciples in our community? Are we seeking to reach out to the people around us, calling them to follow the Lord Jesus, sharing the good news about him with them? For many of you, uh, it may well be your workplace, which is your mission field. Are you seeking to make uh, disciples in the place that you work? Or it may be uh, the place where you spend your leisure time. Are you seeking to um, uh, draw to Christ and make disciples the people um, at the gym that you belong to? Or the club that you belong to? Wherever you are, are you seeking to make disciples? And in our church life itself, we need to ask ourselves the question, are, are all of our events, are all of our activities together contributing to the making of disciples? Is that what they seek to do? And do we preach the word and teach the word so that disciples are made? That's a good question to ask, for example, about youth groups. It's very easy to run youth groups that are essentially a social activity that draw in lots of people for fun. But are they uh, kind of uh, making disciples, preaching and teaching the word so that people come to follow Jesus and are taught to obey him? I actually know very little about uh, what happens in your church life, so please don't think I'm making any particular comment about your church. You'll have to judge for yourself. But I think we need to regularly make sure that all of our activities and our events are designed to be serving that purpose of making disciples, preaching the gospel and teaching people to follow Jesus. It's good for a church to examine its budgets, to examine its programs and its calendars, to make sure that those are the priorities. And this is something that I think we need to be committed to at every level. We need to be committed to it locally. But I think churches need to have a commitment to want to make disciples and help serve the making of disciples more widely than that. We're part of the big body of Christ. And uh, this is a work that is done by the church as a whole. Uh, All nations will not be able to be reached just by Long Crendon Baptist Church. Any individual local church can only play um, a part in that great work. So I think as churches, we need to be willing to work together 
locally, regionally, nationally, globally, in order for this mission to be fulfilled. So Jesus' command, our mission is to make disciples. Well, that's a huge task, isn't it? It's easy to feel immensely intimidated by that task just by its sheer scale. It seems uh, impossible. And it seems particularly difficult in the face of opposition and persecution. I mean, just think for a moment how extraordinary this command would have been to Jesus' disciples. He has just been rejected and executed. He, uh, to all intents and purposes in the eyes of the world, looks like a failure. And yet he's telling his disciples to go out and make disciples of all nations. How is that possible? Well, it's only possible because Jesus promises to be present with his disciples. This is not a task that we undertake simply by our own effort and our own strength and our own ingenuity. It's a a work that can be only undertaken by the presence and power of the Lord Jesus himself. So secondly, we see Jesus' promise, which is his provision of his presence. Have a look at verse 20. It's wonderful the way that Jesus ends. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' last word to his disciples in Matthew's gospel is a word of reassurance. I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the uh, terrible things about death is how death separates. My dad died in uh, 1993. And uh, when he died, my mum had a kind of plaque erected in the crematorium where he was uh, cremated, which said, always in our hearts, on it. And at one level, that's just not true. When somebody dies, when you're separated from them, there isn't that presence in the same way. And there's an immense loss. Well, Jesus has died and is risen and is going to be with the Father. But he says there's not really going to be that kind of separation. He says, I'm going to be present with you, even though I'm going away and I won't be physically with you in the way that I have been. I am going to be present. And surely here Jesus is speaking about his presence with his people by his Holy Spirit. When Jesus returned to heaven, God sent his spirit onto his people That's what we read about in Acts chapter 2 and in the book of Pentecost. Jesus uh, sent his spirit on his disciples and he is with them. And he is with us. I think this passage reminds us that if we're going to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us, then we need to be confident in the presence of Jesus with us by his spirit. Actually, we read through the uh, whole book of Acts that if we want to be bold in our witness and evangelism, if we want to be able to accomplish this task, we need to be filled with his spirit. To be filled with his spirit is to have the confidence and the courage to declare the gospel, to not be ashamed of Christ, to not be ashamed of the cross, and to be willing to suffer with him. We need the power of God, his presence with us by his spirit, if we're to carry our crosses and to follow in his footsteps. And Jesus promises that he will be with his people. I think it's uh, immensely challenging, isn't it, reading the uh, kind of stories of missionaries of past generations. 
who went in faith to tell the gospel to others, often risking great danger and facing almost certain death, whether it was from terrible tropical diseases or at the hands of the people that they went to share the good news of Jesus with. Why were they willing to go? Because they had boldness and confidence that came from the Spirit and God's presence with them. Isn't it challenging that we so often find it so difficult to simply speak to our neighbours about Christ? We're afraid of what they might think of us. We're afraid that we might offend them. We're afraid that they might um, uh, distance themselves from us. That they might think badly of us. If we're to fulfil this command to make disciples of all people, we need to be filled with the Spirit, given that boldness and confidence of Jesus' presence with us. So what we often need, I think, to be effective in evangelism and the work of um, discipleship is not just more techniques, not just more training, but the confident knowledge that Jesus is with us, trusting his power. So Jesus promised his promise, provision of his presence. And lastly, in this passage, we see and we're reminded of Jesus' glory. You see, um, in this passage, as Jesus speaks to his disciples, as he gives them this command, as he makes his uh, promise to them, Jesus is the risen and the resurrected Lord. I was uh, reading earlier this week of the uh, death of uh, Pope Shenouda II, who is the leader of the uh, Coptic Christians. He died this week at a ripe old age. And uh, after he had died, he was um, uh, allowed to uh, rest in state or laid in state. But the way they do that is quite extraordinary. What they do is they dress him up in all of his robes and his mitre and they seat him on a throne. It's not kind of laid out on a coffin. He's actually laid out on a throne. They all kind of gather. Isn't that absolutely extraordinary? Gathering around a dead leader dressed on a throne in all of his uh, glory and finery. Well, that is absolutely not what we have in the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is risen from the dead and is alive. And that's what the disciples are confronted with here in this passage. As they're on this mountain, they meet with the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus in all of his glory. And uh, I, I think from this passage we see that this work of mission has to flow out of kind of our worship and faith in the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus. We see Jesus' glory and um, we must submit to his majesty. See, the uh, disciples gathered on this mountain and we're told in verse 17 that they worshipped him, but some doubted. If we're going to be effective in this work of mission and making disciples, then we need to be those who worship Jesus in his glory and who set aside our doubts and have faith and confidence in him. We need to know that he is the one who is reigning in glory. Look what Jesus reassures those who doubt about in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. My guess is at that point, seeing Jesus in all of his resurrected glory, those who doubted believed. 
and trusted. They knew that he was the resurrected Lord, that he had authority over the whole world. And if we want to be effective in this work, I think we need to be those who have faith in Jesus, the resurrected Lord, and and to be those who are worshipping him. Our witness flows out of our worship. It's as we remember that he is the resurrected Lord and we submit himself ourselves to him that we will be willing to go out and declare the good news about him. That's, um, I think, what it means by setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, worshipping him and recognising him for who he really is. That uh, is why it's so important together to come together as a church family, to worship and remember who Jesus is, I think one of the great values of gathering as a church family is to remember week by week that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is Lord, to reorientate ourselves uh, around him so that we can go out with that confidence because we live in a hostile world. And most of the time we're living in a world that doesn't acknowledge and recognise Jesus. But we need to constantly be remembering the reality that he is the risen and reigning one with all authority. So we're reminded of Jesus' glory, which points us to our submission to his majesty. We will only, I think, be effective in fulfilling our mission if we are, first of all, faithful worshippers. Well, we face an immense challenge, don't we, as Christians? We face an immense challenge um, in this country, According to the latest edition of Operation World, in the UK, approximately 2% of the population are active evangelical Christians. We are a tiny minority in a lost country. Christians in the church seem to be increasingly marginalised and seem to be facing increasing persecution. Many churches are small, many are closing, many are ageing, Many are discouraged. That isn't the universal picture. One of the things that tremendously encourages me travelling around the country is uh, churches like your church, which are thriving and growing. There are many churches where when the Bible is being taught, when the gospel is being proclaimed, where there's a, a warm and welcoming community, the church is growing and people are being converted and saved. There is much to be encouraged about. But we do face a massive challenge. But that challenge is very much the challenge that was faced by the early church. I mean, think about these disciples. A tiny group being sent out to make disciples of all nations. It seems an impossible task. But we can be confident that Jesus will accomplish his purpose. He has triumphed over death. He is reigning and ruling. And uh, all all, all nations will come to worship him. The Bible ends with a glorious vision of a a, a great multitude in heaven from every tribe and every nation recognising the Lord Jesus. The book of Philippians reminds us that in the end, every knee will bow to him as Lord. So even though the challenge is immense, we need the confidence of knowing that we are already on the winning side. Jesus is going to triumph. 
And actually, as we look at the situation around the world, that is occurring. Just think of the massive growth of the church in China, in India, in South America, in Africa. The gospel is triumphing as people from uh, all around the world come to recognize Jesus as Lord. So let's not lose heart. Let's not become discouraged. Let's not think that this mission is impossible. So what is the mission of the church? We're to make disciples. That's the mission that Jesus gives to us. Is that impossible? No, because Jesus is with us. He has promised to be present until the very end of the age. He has given us his spirit. What do we need to do to encourage ourselves? Well, we need to worship. We need to submit ourselves to his majesty. And remember that he is the risen and the glorified and the reigning king.